to be praised. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Let's turn our Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Yes, the Lord is worthy to be praised. Each and every day. I'd like to start off by encouraging you online to start making your way back. All right? Don't wait. Just do what God tell you to do. If you wait for a feeling, you'll stay right there. Don't let your feelings be your God. In Joshua chapter 6, it says, Now, Jer now Jericho was tightly shut. Because of the sons of Israel, no one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with, with its king and valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry the seven trumpets of rams, horns, before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man, straight ahead. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant. Let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram horn, ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Watch it carefully. He tell him what to do. And verse 6, what does he do? So Joshua, the son of Nun, didn't wait a second. We talked about that the first Sunday this year. This day, God don't like delayed obedience. He said, tell my sons was the first step to disobedience. Then he said to the people, go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. And it was so. Now, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed him, followed them. Dear God, we thank you for the examples you've left us. And obviously, God, we still need it because you hadn't dropped another Bible down from heaven. So we still need it. God, I pray that we would have a heart to learn from it so that we will live victorious. We ask you for this, Lord, that this year would be the year where we intentionally strive for victory. We ask you to bless this message, not that your word need to be blessed because you wrote it, but that it will be communicated accurately and that it would hit fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
a young man was uh, walking by a baseball field. And as he was walking by the baseball field, he noticed a group of kids playing baseball. And they were all wrapped into the game. I mean, they were solid up into the game. So the guy in the outfield, he looked to talk to the guy in the outfield, and he said, hey, man, how's it going? He said, oh, we're having a great game. He says, well, what's the score? He said, the score is 18 to 0. He says, well, who have 18? They do. He says, oh, man, I'm sorry. Y'all getting a whipping. The young man looked at him, puzzled, and said, we haven't backed yet. You see, many times we look at the obstacles we face, and the obstacles determine our actions rather than God. What, our acts, acts, what the obstacles obviously brings out is who we are made of. What's really inside of us? What does God find when he looks inside? That's what the obstacles in life tend to bring out. You see, this is what we are faced with. We're faced with obstacles every day. Every moment of every day, there are challenges. But I guarantee you, there's no challenge like you'll find in this particular message today. Please note that God calls these people valiant warriors. Not Joshua. God does. God looks at them and says that these guys in a small city, not a large city, Jericho is a city that was probably like half a mile in circumference, about seven acres completely. It's not a big city. It's just a strategic city, and it's a city that if you don't get through it, you can't get to the rest of the promised land. You got to go through Jericho to get there. That's the only way. And what God does is he sets up in Jericho the hardest obstacle. Valiant warriors, tall strapping men that love war. No, 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 no. I'm saying this carefully. They don't just go to war because there's a war. They love war. There's a difference between people who go to war because they are in the military and people who can't wait for war. There's a difference between them. I, I saw that when I was a probation officer in the hood. There's some people that will fight because you're fighting them. And there's some people that will look for you so they can fight you. They're two different people. I learned that in the hood when I was a probation officer. There's some people just look at you and they're looking up and down and you ain't said nothing. You're minding your own business. They're just hoping you look back. They're hoping you respond. That's the kind of valiant warriors that you're talking about. They love war, they're looking for war, they want war, and the city's are, walls are double enforced. There's double enforced. Not, not just having walls up, they plan for nobody to take them over, so they reinforce it with a second wall. So you don't have just one wall, you got two walls. Well enforced, strong. That's what you got. Nobody faces this with nine foot tall giants. You may say, my boss on my job, <laughs> come meet him one day, come meet her one day. Now, Nothing like that. You could say, well, take a check on my marriage. You could say, my single life. My family got some baby folk in it. You can put a list together, but you can't find what it's like if you have been in slavery for decades. You've gone through the Red Sea. You have buried your family in the wilderness for 40 years and walked over their graves. If you actually look at the map, 
you would see that they literally wandered in the wilderness. Not just saying wandered in the wilderness to characterize what they were doing. They literally wandered in the wilderness. There was no place to go but the promised land and they didn't want to go. So guess what they did all that time? Wandered around waiting to go in. They literally did that. And they are burying hundreds of people every day. And they've been doing that living in tents. Living in tents mean there's no restroom facilities, there's no shower facilities, and you're drink, eating cornflakes and drinking water for 40 years. That's their life after coming out of slavery for decades. That's what they're coming out to. Then the God who made everybody allows these people to be nine foot tall or more, some people believe, double reinforced walls, having to be a vigilant warriors after you're coming from that slavery, that wilderness experience, burying all these people to face that. That's their life. And what God is going to teach us is that victory does not begin by you beating somebody down. Victory begins when God becomes victorious in you. When God becomes victorious in a person, then no matter what they face, they believe they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. And if victory does not begin on the outside, victory begins on the inside. It's when a person is changed on the inside to recognize that he who is in them is greater than he who is in the world that determines the victories that they're going to have in this life. And that's why we find in this text that the first thing you have to learn to do is to listen to God. To be victorious, you have to learn to listen. Let me tell you what Satan does on a regular basis. What Satan tends to do is to create so much noise in your life that you, you can't hear God. If Satan can get us to stop hearing God, that's, it's over. It's over. I learned that raising teenage boys with my wife. Teenage boys, especially when they start playing football and they turn 16 and they got a car under them and they got some girls lying to them telling them all kind of stuff and they believe they are five nine and girls make them feel they're six four then they start doing well in football and then all of a sudden what you are saying to them makes no sense then it gets double worse when you send them to college and they start hearing philosophers and psychologists and all these different people you sound really dumb when, you, when they come home, I used to bring them home. I always tell my wife, uh, they got to come home for the summer. I only let them have one summer in college because of football. But every summer they got to come home because I have to deprogram them. And I literally did. I slowed down all summer. They think I'm taking them to lunch, to dinner, hanging out with them. I'm trying to deprogram them from all the junk they've been hearing. Because they literally got to the point that there's so much noise, the people that are talking to them makes no sense. And when the persons don't make no sense, guess what they do? They lean to their own understanding and guess what happens? They turn off God and their paths become messed up. God is saying you must first learn how to listen to him because Satan will create so much noise in your life you can't hear God. 
He would create so much noise. They got noise of the wilderness, noise of living in tents, noise of waiting for water from dry rocks, noise where their clothes aren't wearing out. What does that mean? They're wearing the same clothes a day, same shoes a day. They are burying people. They are doing all of this stuff. There could be so much noise that their parents didn't listen and died in the wilderness. They didn't listen because of the noise. They had all kinds of stuff going down under the, at the bottom of the mountain of Zion. And they were partying, creating all idols. They could not listen to Moses no more. They was tired of all of this stuff and their parents couldn't listen and their parents died in the wilderness because they can't hear God. So the question is, how do we keep our ears on when the world is trying to turn it off? Here are some principles I want you to remember that I pray that you will focus on. Some of it is in your bulletin. If you want more, you can go on the internet, go on the website, and you gain more. Here's the first principle you need to learn to listen to God. Even preachers got to learn this. Many times when the church gets larger and the funds grow, preachers start to smell themselves. We got the same problem because preachers do the same thing. So we have to, not just for you, all of us got to learn how to stay listening to God. Here's the first principle. Remember, you are second no matter how qualified you feel you are. Let me create the contrast for you. Go to chapter 5. In chapter 5, he teaches us how we can make this work. Okay? Let me give you the backdrop to what is going on here. Okay, because this world will make you think you're so educated, you're so smart, it will create everything to make sure that that education and that being smart is something that is highly intellectual because the car is working, the computers are working, the television is smart, and all these different things. So the world makes you feel like, yeah, I got this going on. You smartness take you to a job. Smartness make you get... Elevated on the job, promotions, you now got the corner office, you're doing well. So it makes no sense for this God. What is he talking about? I don't give to the church and look how blessed I am. What are you talking about, this church stuff? What, what are you talking about, this church stuff? Look at me. I'm successful. What the Bible is saying, you don't see from heaven. The Bible says to the Laodiceans, he says, you are naked, you are wretched, and you're poor. In other words, when you come to heaven, what qualifications did that move you to in heaven? Did you get in heaven? Did you receive anything from what you did on earth? Because in heaven, it's forever. On earth, three scores ten. So what would you rather invest in? Something that lasts temporarily or something that goes forever? Do you go to an airport to stay in it? Or do you go to an airport to move on? Depends on how you look at it. So people feel Satan creates in people's minds when he fills us with all this ability, he creates from that ability an awesome world. Why? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 19, Satan is the power of this world. He creates a, a mindset to work with and a, and a encompassing surroundings to make that mindset work to steer us away from God. The Bible said that's exactly what he does. That's why when God speaks, it's nonsense. It's like when I spoke to my teenage boys, it was nonsense. He says we have to learn to listen. Here's the first thing we must do. 
In chapter 5, verse 13, he says, And it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said to him, because he's intimidated by this guy, he said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? He wants to know. This is an intimidating person. He said, no, rather, no, no, watch this carefully now in the text. Joshua's going to go into the promised land and deal with intimidating people. But when Joshua sees this person, Joshua wants to know who he is. Joshua in asking who the people are in the promised land, he's already seen them. He was one of the spies that went the first time around. But when he sees this guy, he goes, oh no. So you could tell how intimidating this person is to Joshua. He said, no, later, I, I no, 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 I'm not on nobody's side. That's what he's saying. No, rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. Many people believe this is Jesus Christ speaking to Joshua. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. This is the man that was spying, seeing giants. This is how he's responding. And bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Whoa! Joshua just called this person Lord. And the captain of the Lord's host said to him, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Here's the first thing to learn. The reason why verse chapter 6 verse 1 says, now Jericho was tightly shut up and, and, and Joshua's listening to all of this is because Joshua first learned, I am second in command, I'm not first. Joshua learned that first. Anytime I think I'm in the command of my life and I can do what I need to do because I'm grown, that's your first mistake. You stop listening. That happens when some people come back, you know, it's funny to grow up and to come home to my parents and they say that they, my parents are from Guyana, South America. They don't know grown. They, I'm just being, I'm honest with you. I'm not making it a joke. They don't know grown. You are their child, period, stop, done. I learned that when I was 16 years of age and my dad slapped me. Pow! Because my brother wrecked my car the very day I paid it off. And he totaled it out, and I am fussing at my brother, and I've yet to ask, are you okay? My dad got up from the couch and slapped me. Are you going to fight over a car or your brother? I learned then, I'm never going to be grown. <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> I was 17, as a matter of fact. I was 17 then, so I was thinking American. I'm 17, so I'm grown. My dad told no, you're in my house, so you're my child. Two different things. So I'm walking into my parents' house, and I remember that's my parents' house, so I must respect them. Grown as I was, 50-something years of age when my dad passed, 50 years old. So understand, when we first learn to respect the Lord of hosts, we learn to listen. Now go to Ecclesiastes 5. I want you to walk with me. you got to learn to listen to God. If you don't learn to listen to God, when problems come that are way above your education, way above your money, way above your ability, and can't solve it, then we want to listen. I'm saying listen first. 
then the problems you face will not be as tremendous or difficult or too great because you already have victory with God on the inside. When victory with God is on the inside, you could be Paul under arrest. They're going to kill you and you would say be anxious for nothing because victory took place on the inside. But if victory is not on the inside, you will stress out and fall over. Now, in Ecclesiastes, he said the second thing about listening. Not only do you recognize that you and I are not number one, we are not Lord of our lives, God is Lord of our lives. The second thing he says is when we come to worship him, stop talking so much and come to listen. Okay? Now, that means the preacher needs to stick with the text. The preacher needs to lift the text. He says, don't listen to nobody that don't do those two things. They're not his preacher. He does say that in the Bible. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says, Guard your steps as you come to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know they are doing evil. In other words, they come in and they think they're doing this and doing that. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive. Impulse. People feel this today, so God must be speaking to me. I feel that tomorrow, so God must be talking to me. And this, this is what the church is about today. It's what impulse I feel. And because they feel this impulse, then that's what God is saying. Do not be hasty. And that's why the people don't listen to God today. It's the impulses they listen to, the emotions that they feel. Do not be hasty in a word or impulse in thought. To bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be what? You can't be talking a whole lot to hear God. So he says when you come into his house where he's supposed to have a pastor preacher who's supposed to stick with the Bible and not just tell you what you want to feel and get you just jumping up and down and we just go home after that. The Bible is saying you got to have somebody that's going to teach you the scriptures and when they do and you check them out like the Berean Christians, then you have listened. But when we come to the God, Joshua is saying, who are you? Jesus is doing most of the talking here. Joshua is doing nothing but listening. And Joshua does the second thing. Because he's listening, he recognizes he's the Lord of hosts. Joshua goes to worshiping him. Whatever he says, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to come into your, come into your presence, what I'm saying to you online. It's great, we will serve you. But you got to decide to come back to the house of God. That's intentional because he told you to. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. We cannot have efficient and an effective church without the spiritual gifts functioning here. That's the body of Christ. You're robbing God of that. So that's why he is saying to, to us, be careful to listen. Those are the first two things. Now here's a second, here's a third thing I want you to understand. He says those city walls are shut up. Here's the third thing. When we're listening to God, stop trying to get a crowd to encourage us or to agree with us. Joshua ain't trying to come back to people going, hey, do you agree that God is telling us to walk around the walls of Jericho? No, Joshua ain't asking for no agreement. Joshua's saying, I heard from God. I know he's God. I'm going to go do this thing. We tend to have this desire that we want everybody to agree with us before when everybody agrees with us and like us, then we feel good. Because we live in a democracy, we tend to operate in a democracy because we're influenced by our culture. 
The Bible is saying, no, when God speaks, whether people agree with you or not, and you know what he's saying is true, because you checked it out like the Berean Christians, stop waiting for everybody to cheer you on and go do it. I understand that is the loneliest place you could ever be. I've been there. It's lonely. You think nobody care about you. All kind of thoughts hit your head. But the Bible is saying, number three, when God speaks and you know he's speaking, stop waiting for a crowd. Just be committed to do what he says and trust what he says. That's it. Stop waiting for a crowd. Here's the fourth thing. Are you with me? Here's the fourth thing. Please remember these principles and it will teach you to listen. The fourth thing we would find here is that stop trying to get God to agree with your eyes. Okay? God is not interested in what you see. He's just not. He's not interested in what you see. People see beautiful cars and they go, this must be from God. It ain't from no God. People do that kind of stuff, you know? They see a beautiful woman or a handsome man. Oh, God just sent me somebody. I sent you somebody. Our feelings sent us that person. We could go and we see the job, and the job is paying wonderful. I never forget getting in trouble to this person still to today. Still to today. I remember him coming to me, and we were in the Family Life Center in the legacy area. And I can literally remember this vividly. I was standing by the copier, and you know I don't know how to copy nothing after 29 years. Gail is such an f- effective administrator, I don't even know the code to the thing. So I was going to, I said, I ain't bothering nobody. I'm going to try to figure this out. So I was standing there, and the person came to me, and they go, hey, listen, somebody offered me a job. I said, great, man, that's awesome. It's half a million dollar salary. Whoa, you got it going on, brother. That's great for you and your family. Your kid's getting ready to go to college, man. That's awesome. He says, but listen, man, I, I, I got to move to a whole nother city. And I'm going, that's great. You know, what's the problem with that? Just do three things. Find a good church home. Make sure that you got, your family's not disrupted by that. And your children are in a place where they can be properly developed. Whether it's in, a, in an environment, just don't go pick the rich neighborhood. Find something where your kids can be properly developed. You've got family members not too far. All of these different things. So emotionally, mentally, spiritually develop them. Once you don't compromise those things, take the job. Man, man, that ain't nothing that stuff, man. Listen, man, it's half a million dollars. I said, don't chase that money. Make sure when you make a decision, it is comprehensive. Don't just chase the money. The Bible says, don't seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't chase that money. To today, that person argues with me because things got messy because they chased the money. I, God does not, and, and today he, he always see, when he sees me, he goes, man, you told me. That. And I said, no, I did not. I did not. I don't care how many times you tell me that. I understand. The Bible does not follow our eyes. It follows God's eyes. And we always want God to agree with what we see to the, to make because it makes so much sense to us that we want God to come and bless us. That's why today people are coming to church looking for bless me in the city, bless me in the fields, bless me when we come when we go. Because we've seen so much out there, we want to come in and have God go, yay, I agree with you. You showed up in church. Awesome. Yeah, you gave you five bucks. Let's do this. That's what we want from God. And when church don't do that, we get mad. What am I doing this for? 
Because we want this out there and God don't supply it fast enough, then we turn around and we go to God and say, he's not supplying my need. Because our need was determined by our eyes. Watch what's going on here. To Joshua, your eyes tell you you would have lost. Your eyes tell you that. Please understand, Joshua's no like, no like military guy that don't know stuff. Historians said that Joshua was the one who led Egypt against the Ethiopians and that Joshua won that battle. So Joshua was trained by the most powerful army in his known day, Egypt. It's like the people of Ukraine coming to America to learn how to fight, to go back to fight. That's Joshua. He learned how to fight. That's why Joshua is the fighter. And God transitioned leadership when he needed not a spiritual leader, he needed a fighter. He allowed Moses to die. Understand, because Joshua was no just kind of learning military stuff in the wilderness. No, Joshua was a general in the Egyptian army as a Jew. That's how strong he was. And he's telling Joshua, Joshua, when you look at your ability and your enemy, you're thinking strategically as to how to attack them because you were one of the spies. But Joshua, turn your eyes off and commit to your commitment to me. Hear me carefully. Two things I'm saying in one. Don't let what you see determine your faith and how you listen. Number two, don't let your ability determine how you interpret what you hear. Or you wouldn't listen. You turn it off. Folks, anybody raise teenagers up in here? What am I saying? That's why, okay, this is the, one of the few times I'll tell you one of the secrets and how I characterize some Christians is that I call some Christians, I hate saying I'm a mature believer because I've learned that mature believer, when people say to themselves, it just messes them up. They think they've arrived somewhere. So I, I don't like to even call myself a mature believer. I always like to say I'm constantly growing. Because God is infinite and nobody's ever going to be all there. He says, yes, you will experience the fullness of Christ while you're on earth. That's what the church is supposed to take you to, make you complete in God. But, but complete don't mean we got it all. Because God is infinite and we're finite. So that's an oxymoron. So, but I, sometimes I call Christians teenage Christians. They can hear what God is saying, but... Man, listen, I know what to do. I, I pull my, my pants up my, myself. I ain't got no preacher. To, just like a teenager. Joshua is a military giant. But Joshua is telling, God is telling him, listen to me and close your eyes. Watch this carefully. They lock the gates. The walls are double reinforced. Think about it for a minute. Walk around and blow a trumpet? Come on now. Are you going to walk around? Could you, could you imagine the conversation that could have taken place here? Just come on, let's be human for a minute. Could you imagine the conversation? Joshua, I want you to close your eyes and do what I say. Come on, God, I'm a military giant. They just locked the gates. We don't have any battering ramps. They would put these battering ramps up, run up the thing. They'd get them to shoot out their arrows so fast. So the guys that first went, remember Uriah, who went up there, Bathsheba's husband, he died. Why? Because they took, they're shooting up all their arrows. So they have to break to load back up like we do today. You got to put the magazine back in. When you're doing that, guess what? 
We got a second to charge. None of that stuff we have. We got slaves that I had to train in the wilderness. Come on, God. They just shut the gates. Could you at least open the gates? God had the gates shut. He allowed the gates to be shut. Walls to be doubly reinforced. And he made these people nine foot tall. And they love to fight. That's why you can't lean to your own understanding because that's the noise that shuts God off. Can't do it because God don't make human sense. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's why you have to come to the point of the next point that I'm going to share with you. He says to Joshua, I command you. This is the funny part about this text that you've got to understand. When he tells Joshua, now Jericho was shut up. Do you see? What is he saying to Joshua? Joshua, I don't want you to not look at what I'm talking about. I just want to see if you're going to do what I say when you could see the whole deal. So Joshua, look at them. <laughs> look at them. And Joshua, Joshua had to look and turn his face off because of this verse. And you could read all of this beginning in verse, actually verse 1 of chapter 2. We don't have the time for that. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. He says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. When people are turning the Word of God off, he's saying, you're not in the Spirit. He's saying this. For, for, the, for they are foolishness to him. Come on, folks. Come on now. Let's be real about it. F foolishness in the Bible is not a person that's ignorant. There's a difference between foolishness and ignorance. Ignorance is when I don't know nothing. Arrogance is when... I, mean, I love this quote that this philosopher gave. A person that is ignorant is very confident. A person that is knowledgeable is a person that is very humble. I like that. Because when you're ignorant, you don't know what can go wrong. It's like, it's like I remember a child I was raising uh, that you just say, oh, you know what? I could jump in the swimming pool and swim. You got to learn to swim first. I could make it. Because as a child, the child sees everybody swimming. So what's the child do? I could swim. Let me go in the pool. Oh, come on. Why are you stopping me? I'm such a bad father for doing that. Why? The child don't know nothing. So they're confident. The person that knows you can drown does what? Let me get in the water. Because I want to build self-esteem, I said, it's okay. Let me get in the water first and you jump. Understand, the Bible is saying foolishness is the opposite. I know what God is saying, but I ain't doing it. Knowing he's God. I know he's God. I know he's powerful. I know he's able. I know God doesn't always right, never wrong, never foolish, perfect in every way. I know he knows everything. I know he loves me, but I ain't doing it. He's saying this. For there are foolishness in him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. So the Bible is saying to us that Joshua, Lord of hosts, I bow, take off my shoes, respect you, is going to do whatever he says even when he can't see. Because Joshua is deciding to renew his mind so that whatever he is going to do has to do with God's brain, not his. That's how I listen. I know that sounds scary. It does. I used to put on this sign out front, something that God taught me a long time ago. 
And I thank God he's taught me a long time as I pastor a church. He says, I said, the best person to lose your mind to is the person who knows all and loves you. Joshua had to lose his mind to gain a mind to fight the war that only God could fight. Satan doesn't want you to do that. You're educated. You're smart. You got a good job, most likely. You pay your bills. You make decisions every day. Why does God have to tell me what to do? And God is saying conceptually, I do have to tell you what to do. Applicational, pray for wisdom and do what's wise. That's why he says this. You must learn to listen. Now, and this is what he says. Here's the last principle about listening. Listening is what I said earlier on. Delayed obedience is the first step to disobedience. I'll never forget the conversation I had with my son standing by the trash can. He says, Dad, I don't feel like it right now. So I ain't asking about your feelings. Everything in that trash can had nothing to do with feelings. Because your mother was cooking and she was tired. I ain't care about your feelings. What I care about is that you take that trash can out. Because what am I doing? I could take the trash can out. But I want to teach him a responsibility. I want to teach him that when I'm not looking, if it's your responsibility, do it. Because I don't want you to be an eye servant. So I'm trying to teach principles by using the trash can. <laughs> Come on, man. The trash can, it's not a massive thing. It's not a massive responsibility like brushing your teeth. You know, <laughs> take a bath. <laughs> it's a trash can. It's trash, right? So what's the big deal about it? The big deal is will you follow me when you don't feel like it? The hardest thing for God to get us to do is to do that. Just think of COVID right now, right? How many of us would trust God and obey him when we're hearing a lot of information that make us scared? Why would be the first thing that he would tell Peter is don't fear? Why would that be the first thing? Because that's the, that's the very thing that caused Peter to say, I don't know the man, blankety, blankety, blank. The worst thing to do is to let fear become so much noise, you can't obey God. Joshua turned off fear by turning on faith. Joshua could have been as afraid as ever. He has seen these spies. He's seen these giants. He was a spy. He's seen them. He could be afraid as ever. He got 40 years of burying people. His leader is gone. I mean, look at what Joshua's fighting in chapter 1. Fear. This is exactly what God tells him in chapter 1. Look at verse 5. No one of Joshua chapter 1. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I have been with Moses. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong, courageous. You shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from, from the right or to the left. And you will have success. Why is he telling him this? Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? What are you stopping here looking at me for? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. 
or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just do it. Joshua, open your eyes. The gates are shut, walls are tall. The people, they're afraid, but they got their parents who are dead, not doing this, so they're a little motivated. You got to lead slaves that you have to train in the wilderness to fight because in Egypt, nobody but soldiers are allowed to carry a weapon. We, sh we need to learn from that. So these people have never held a weapon. That's why the Egyptian can kill the slaves. They couldn't defend themselves because they can't carry weapons. Only Moses could fight the Egyptian to kill him from killing the slave because Moses is a general in the army. So you had to train all these people, but turn off your eyes, turn off this brain inside of you that's a general that fought against the Ethiopians and won winning battles. Turn that off and do what I say. But Joshua, when you do that, it makes you so vulnerable, you could become afraid. So stop trembling. And the way you stop is immediately doing what I say. One of the reasons why we can't listen to God is because we are always waiting for God to do something like Gideon before we do anything. And so we stay stuck. Stay stuck not being productive. Stuck going through one problem after the next. Stuck full of anxiety. Stuck full of worry. Stuck full of all kinds of pain and struggles. We get stuck. The young man with the baseball is saying, we hadn't had a chance to bat. Just give us a chance to bat. I don't care how much runs they got. We haven't bat yet. I'll never forget this. I, I must say, uh, Pierre, I should have learned years ago the kind of son that my wife and I, by the grace of God, were growing up. i never forget the day he was playing at Austin College football team, cornerback out there, and uh, I, I saw that they were down like 30-something to nothing at halftime, at halftime. So I ran down the stands and knew where they were coming out. And I waited for my son to pass. And he saw me, he came by me, and he, I said, son, you could still win the game. He stopped. Did anybody running past him? Dad, we got a whole half to play. I said, oh, my God. We are raising a good son. I went back up to the stand, stand really humble. My wife said, uh, what was that about? Oh, Nothing. <laughs> why he heard the coaches and they said you could still win he believed it no matter the obstacles so he could go back out and play hard and play with a lot of fight why because there's still a half left we got to remember, we don't keep the time of God. We could look at the struggles we have, the pain we have, the issues we have, and God is saying, I'm just waiting for you to get up and do something. We still got life left. I understand it may be a struggle with different issues, whether, whether they are emotional, mental, whether they are physical pain. I understand those things could be there, but you still got life left. Let's live it. But make a decision to do it. That's why it brings up this. You can't live by sight. You got to live by faith. Look at verse 4. Because this, this stuff don't make no sense. He's saying to him, I want, I've given you Jericho. Look at verse 2. Lord said to Joshua, Jericho is done. What is he saying to us? I oh, didn't say, no, no, no. Hold up a second. What does he say to us? You are more than a conqueror. As long as people look at me, you, you're sitting in this building. Ain't no way we could do it. We're here. 
The 700 Club, yes, I want to challenge you to do that because I don't want us to just be here. We got stuff to do. Pay down this building. Move on. Get our young people a place they could come to. Life application classes, more space we could grow through. Let's do this. Why? Is it, is it, look at the economy. I don't look at the economy outside the church. I look at the economy inside the church. That's who I look at. Is God keeping jobs? Yes. Is God preserving life? Yes. So in this economy, God is saying he's good. <laughs> I don't look at that economy. Why does the economy has to shape how we plan? God shapes how we plan. Is this a need? Yes, it is a need. Who supplies our need? He does. According to whose riches? His riches. So why are we stressing? We don't live by sight. We, live by, we don't live by sight. We live by faith. That's why he's saying, Joshua, see, I have given you Jericho. Lord, I'm out here. That's what he could have said. What are you talking about? You giving me Jericho. I'm out here. I've been out here for 40 years. What are you talking about? You've given me Jericho. He'd been giving him Jericho. If you go to chapter 2, he, he would tell you the people were afraid of them the first time. They were shaking in their boots the first time. They literally wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they wouldn't do what God says when the people who they could have conquered were already afraid of them. They could have done this a long time ago. That's what Rahab says to them. Oh, y'all are back. Good stuff. Because these people in here are shaking. They're afraid of you. They ran from people who was afraid of them to die in the wilderness for 40 years. Thinking about how bad the people are. Joshua, this is your land. I promised it to Abraham long time ago. I had him walk this land. Before they could ever build anything, I had Abraham walk this land. I've already given you this land. Abraham has gone through this land and mapped it out. It is your land, Abraham. Joshua. It's your land. It's already been mapped out and given to Abraham. You shall march around the city, the dumbest thing. Could you imagine the folks inside? Oh, they're crazy. They're having church. And we up in here having a good old time. You ever notice something in a football game, the one where the Cowboys play? That's the football game. I understand. You ever see the defense call a huddle? Very seldom. Very seldom do you see the defense call a huddle. Who calls a huddle? The offense. Why does God call a huddle on Sunday morning? He's the offense. Satan is responding to what God is doing. So Satan don't have his, all his demons meet up for a meeting. They're responding to what God does. So that's why Satan don't call a huddle. God does. God says, huddle up. We're going to walk around this wall. Huddle up. We got stuff to do because this wall, we tearing it down. Huddle up. That's the reason you got church on Sunday morning. God is saying, you got a wall to tear down out there. And so I need you to huddle up so we can get out there and know what the word of God is saying to get it done. But it doesn't sound like it makes any sense. Okay, let me say this real quick. Let me say this real quick. Your greatest victories is against your greatest obstacles. You would never experience God greater if the obstacles in your life, when they get great, you rely on your ability. Please, please hear me. This is a standard thing I say to my sons all the time. Your greatest level of sacrifice determines the greater level of your reward. If you can't sacrifice a lot, there is no reward in it. 
that you're going to be pleased with. Your greatest level of sacrifice determines your greatest level of reward. The Bible teaches us your greatest obstacle develops your greatest character. And when the character is developed in a person, Romans chapter 5 says this all for us. When in Romans chapter 5, when the greatest character is developed in a person, the victory is won on the inside, so there's nothing you can do to them on the outside. Nothing. Jesus Christ is God. We're going to kill you. Not today. Ain't cross today. Well, we're going to stone you. Can't catch me today. My daddy say, ain't today. Well, we don't like you. It's okay. Put me on a cross. Who cares? Victory is not on the outside. Victory is when a person has such faith in God that they already have victory in their relationship with God on the inside. That's victory. That's why he says this as we speed up here. Verse 4 he says, And the seven priests shall carry the seven trumpets in the ram. I mean, you said, I'm going to read this thing, you want to laugh. God is saying, It shall be, verse 5. It shall be. Please hear this thing about faith. It's already done, just waiting for you to catch up. That's faith. Faith is already done. God's word does not return void. It's done. Bible says it shall be. I told Abraham this is your land. I told everybody this is your land. This is your land. It's done. It's just waiting for you to catch up. It's kind of like going to dinner. Dinner's cooked. Come to dinner. It's cooked. Whether or not I come is not an issue, but dinner is done. You don't go buy a car that's being made. Some people are fancy like that. I did um, end up with a car because the person had it made, didn't pick it up, so they discounted it 40%, and that's how I bought a nice car. I said, I'll take it. I said, well, it's, it's got certain things in there, you know, you may not like because it's particular to that person. Ha, I like that person when you give me the right price. <laughs> I think I love the person. God bless them. I didn't care because my I pressed the button, whatever. I don't care. You drop this thing 40% because they want to discount the car. <laughs> Understand, the car is already made, so we buy it. Faith is already done. Join it. <laughs> God is not trying to go do what he says. It's done. He's just waiting for us to line up. It's done. That's the beautiful thing about it. We, we, we act like, okay, God, I'm going to do what you say, so maybe you could drop this down from heaven for me. No, it's already done. Joshua, it's your land. It shall be just waiting for you to obey. That's why it requires faith. That's why it requires faith. That's the beautiful thing that keeps me at peace many times. God, I ain't got to do nothing but obey you. I don't control results. I just decide what to do when you tell me to do. Look at how stupid that could look like. <laughs> Look, it, it really, he says, I want you to get, walk around this wall. Think about it for a minute. You're walking around this city. It's not that big a city. It's really not. Okay? It's like walking around this, it's like walking around this building on the street, down hold the forest, all the way down by the school, and coming all the way back around by the houses. That's the city. It's not that big. So they weren't like doing it all day. He says, walk around it. One time a day, walk around it. I want you, I want you to put the priest here, the, the horns there. God gives us that much detail. We can't stand it. We like preachers that give us a little bit of detail, not a lot. We get mad. Oh, man, there's a lot of information today. God gives a lot of details. Could you imagine going to them and say, line up with the horn over here. Line up with the priest over here. You line up over there. It's a lot of details. 
God is into details. That's why he says, I know the numbers of hairs on your head. Who counts them for those who have them? <laughs> Think about it for a minute. So understand, God is into details. If he was not into details, how could we have a fruit fly? You got to find a fruit fly on a microscope. Think about it for a minute. God is into details. A fish, different color fish, he's into details. That's why when you read the Bible, guess how many details it has? A lot for 66 books. So if we don't want to hear details, then we're going to end up not listening to God because we've got the patience to learn it, the patience to respond to it. So as a result of that, God got to tell us every Sunday, I got a shoe, you got a shoe, David killed Goliath. And make somebody jump up and down and shake a handkerchief. Because I don't want details. But I guarantee you, if you go on that job and you got to put a computer together, but it make you money, guess how much details you're into? Because that's our God. That's why it starts off with the Lord of hosts. When he's the Lord of hosts, I'm not frustrated by the details because I intend to obey. So I want the details. When he's the Lord of hosts. But when I'm not, he's not Lord of my life, and I'm going to use my own sense, give me enough to keep going. I'm good. That's why he says this. Lots of details. Lots of them. Then he says this to him. The wall of the city is down. Go in there. When it falls down, run in and kill him. You know how hard that was? He didn't say just kill the men or the soldiers. Kill women and children. No hard that was to obey God. These people had sinned through Canaan and they were already cursed. God used the people that were cursed back in the time of Noah to build his people that were blessed the land. So they were supposed to die a long time ago. But God says, I could have killed them with hail. Hezekiah prayed against Sinaserib and begged God to come and fight the war for him. And 185,000 Assyrians were dead in a day because God sent hail to kill them. So God didn't need these people to go do that. He just challenged them to obedience. Please hear me what faith does. Faith will drive you to do something that creates so much sacrifice, it exposes the level of your faith. The level of your faith is standing before Goliath. The level of your faith knows there's a lion's den and you're still going to go do what God says. The level of your faith is exposed by the level of your struggle. If your struggle makes us drop God, we didn't have the faith he's trying to develop. And that's why God would put the issues in our lives so high, so, so nonsensible to drive us to do what? Deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow him. We got to come to the point where we are not our own gods because of our emotions, our own gods because of our feelings, our own gods because of the level of intelligence we have, our own gods because of the resources we have, our own gods because stuff makes sense to us. We have to come to the point when God speaks, yes Lord of hosts, I bow before you, I worship you, I listen to you, I surrender to you, I check it out to make sure it's the truth because that ignites the Holy Spirit that is the truth. And then I'm going to go do what you say God, I'm going to trust you for the results even when it doesn't make any sense, I will trust you for the results. I go out and do what you say because you're Lord. The Bible says when you do that, the victory that I've already had for you will become your reality because the victory was already done because I'm God when I told you I did it. 
doesn't matter the struggle. It doesn't matter the struggle. I could wait till everybody come back before we start the 700 Club. Who cares? Is this a need now? Yes. I don't have to wait. That's why he said this in conclusion. I know you don't believe that, and you shouldn't. Why does he tell the people in Hebrews to fix your eyes on me? Come on, folks. Read the whole book of Hebrews. They're going through trial after trial. They come to their houses, confiscate all their stuff, beat them, take their jobs, and mock them when they are homeless on the street. That's what they got for walking with Jesus. Chapter 10 tells us that's what they got. How many of us got that? And you know what it hurts? Is when you go to third world countries, we call them third world countries, which by the way is an insult to the people in the third world countries. And we call them third world. We go to these countries and we don't understand what it's like to have to pack all your stuff up and move in a day because some leader decides to put an army in your place and the only way you and your family could survive is for you to run out. We don't know what it's like to leave everything. And then when you come back, somebody living in your house talking about it's theirs. So we, we, we don't go through on that. So when, when, when God is telling us to do stuff, some of this stuff don't make no sense to us because we don't deal with that. But if I go to some places around the world and I tell them stuff like that, they go, yeah, I trust the Lord. When you got two goats and you need to have some more goats, unless those two goats produce more goats and you can't get milk from those goats, you can't even feed your family. Oh, yes, God is good. See, we just go to the milk, go to the, go to the store and buy the milk. Yeah. And if you get some goat, okay, you, <laughs> leave that alone. <laughs> you got to get some, got to get some goat curry chicken every now and then. Well, goat, goat, goat curry every now and then. I'd be interested to get goat curry chicken. But understand, that's why he would say to them, fix your eyes. Because there's so much distraction, keep them fixed. That's why listening is huge because the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is impossible. I could come to a 14-year-old girl and I could say to this 14-year-old girl, you're going to have, or 15 or 16, you're going to have a baby and his name is going to be Jesus and you ain't going to have a man to help you have that baby. Nothing is impossible with God. I could come to a David and say, David, I anoint you at 16 to be king. Go ahead and play for Saul. He's going to hate your guts. Don't worry about it. And David will do what God says in spite of the fact that God is setting him up and Saul hates him and Jonathan loves him and he got to run for the rest of his life for 12 years. I don't care. If God tells me to kill Goliath, nothing is impossible with God. I will become king and from my kingdom will become Jesus because nothing is impossible with God. You go to Paul and Paul you're going to go to the Gentiles and the Gentiles going to give you a miserable life. I don't care. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The people that were victorious in life are the people who listened to God. The people who surrendered their life to God. Who stopped talking about themselves. Feeling about themselves and do what God said. Those people today are the people we call victorious because victory was not on the outside. Victory was on the inside because they believed in the God who lives inside of them. They trusted the God 
God who lives inside them. They hold on to the God who lives inside them. They renew their mind. Let the Spirit of God grow inside of them so they became what God wants them to be. That's victory. Victory is not in what you see. Victory is in what you believe. Let us stand.